At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. Together, we shout amen and say hallelujah, hallelujah. All right, friends, you may be seated. Thank you, worship team. How many of you praise God for a worship team? Yeah. I don't know if I'm moving slower today or the song was just shorter, but I was rushing to get back out here today. <laughs> so I've stayed in lots of hotels in my life. Uh, some good, some bad, some ugly. Um, you guys know what I'm talking about, ugly hotels. How many of you are staying in a bad hotel? Oh, mercy. Yeah, those are lots of fun, right? Uh, and, you know, I, I, a number of those stays have been longer than just your one or two night stays, right? It's three, four, five, ten, twelve days, whatever the case might be. And as you start to stay a little bit longer, more nights in the hotel, you know, you start to get a little bit more comfortable. Things start to sink in, and I'm like, okay, I can kind of, I can enjoy these surroundings a little bit. But not once has this ever happened. Where, you know, I, I don't like the stiff furniture that's at the hotel, or I, I see the nondescript paintings on the wall, or I, maybe I don't like the color of the walls, or, you know, the, the stereotypical and quintessential sandpaper comforter that's at every hotel. You guys know what I'm talking about. Never once have I pulled my phone out and gone on Amazon and said, you know what, I think I'm going to spruce this place up a little bit. I think I'm going to buy some paint, that, I'm going to paint these walls, I'm going to get some new painting. I don't like this furniture, so I'm going to get new furniture. Why, do, why would I not do that? Because I know that my stay in a hotel is only temporary. And I know that it is not my home. I know that it is not the permanent place that I'm going to stay. Now, I can enjoy my stay at the hotel, right? We can enjoy our time at the hotel. But that does not mean that we are in charge of remodeling the temporary place that we are staying. It means that we can enjoy it. It's a good thing, but it's not an ultimate thing. It's not home. And likewise, as we look at our families, our marriages... Our career, this nation, these are good things that when we treat them as good things, they can be great. But when we treat any of these things as gods, they can be disastrous. When we think that our hopes will be set on these temporary things that are going to go away one day, when we hang our hopes on those things and they inevitably perish, they can be disastrous for us. Because again, as goods, they can be great things. Enjoy your family. Enjoy the nation. Enjoy your career. You know, yearn for your first child. Enjoy all these things. But when you make any of these things your God, when they will surely perish, your hope is dashed and it's a, it's a disaster. This is, why first, this is why Peter, in his first letter, says that we are exiles here on earth. That this is not our permanent home. We're just checking in for a little while. He's saying, don't make the goods of this earth where your permanent hope lasts. The 13th proverb says that a hope deferred makes the heart sick. A hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I don't think the, the author of this proverb is talking about hypertension or heart disease. I think he's talking about the heart as the center of our being. The core of who we are. That when that hope is deferred or delayed or never comes, sometimes we can get sick or we can get sad. When we hang our hopes on things that will perish and they don't come, we can get sad. Now, I will never not take a chance during football season to disparage the Lions on a Sunday morning. As a kid from Chicago, right? The Lions Lions are 562, 672, and 33 all time for the franchise, right? So more than likely they're going to lose today. And some of you will still get sad, 
right? Because our hopes are on something that is perishable, right? And, and likewise, again, when we lose our job and our hearts are crushed, or our children decide, I don't really want to follow Jesus anymore, and our hopes are dashed, or that husband or that wife we've been waiting for just seemingly is never going to come, our hopes get crushed. A hope deferred makes the heart sick. When we hope for good things and they don't come, we get upset. But when we hope for ultimate things, they will always come. Hope is a big theme in Peter's first letter. And it's, the, it's a primary theme of this series that we're in called Unshakable. Where we're going to look at the first two chapters of Peter's first letter. Uh, and we're going to see just kind of what this, this hope that we have in these ultimate things. How that can be secured. That we as exiles on earth, we know we're only going to be here for a little while. That doesn't mean that you don't enjoy the things that we have. That doesn't mean we don't try and bring the gospel to earth the best way that we possibly can. But what Peter is saying here is that you've been born again to a living hope. We saw Drew uh, uh, preach that last Sunday. It was a, Drew, you did a great job. Dap to Drew. Yeah, amen. Um, <laughs> that, was, that wasn't in the notes, but it just came out. <laughs> so we, we saw uh, that Drew preached Peter's, uh, the first 12 verses of 1 Peter chapter 1 last week, where we saw that we are born again to a living hope, that suffering really kind of outlines the, the genuineness of our faith. And the outcome of that faith is the salvation of our souls. And as Peter continues with verses 13 through 21 today, as we'll look, we'll see that he says, all of our hopes should be hung on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now that is an ultimate hope. That is the thing that you could ultimately hang all your hopes, all your dreams for the rest of your life on, and you will never be disappointed. You may feel disappointed for a moment, but Jesus, as the hope of the world, will always come true. As Christians, that's what we long for. As Christians, we hope for the day that Jesus returns. Because we know at Jesus' return, it will be an amazing, also horrifying event. Probably one of the most horrifying events the world could ever imagine is the return of the king for the decisive victory over Satan. We are longing for that return because if you're a believer in Christ, what do you get at the return of Christ? You get grace, you get joy, you get the king comes back with all his power, all his wealth, all his wisdom, everything that we have ever hoped for is coming when Jesus returns. So Peter says that you hang your hope on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation in Jesus Christ. We set our hope fully on that grace because it's, it's unshakable, it's imperishable, it's unfading. It is a hope that will never fade away and that future grace transforms our conduct today. That's our big idea. Future grace transforms our conduct today. That when you know you have something coming, it changes the way you act in the moment. Amen? All right, I've got a moment in my life. Uh, when I was eight years old, I was being babysat by my cousin who was 12 years older than me. Her name was Christy. Uh, and my parents were out of town for a few days, and Christy came over to babysit. And Christy was trying to make me do these ridiculous and terrible things like behave and listen to her and clean up after myself. And I hit her with the phrase that all bad kids hit people with. You're not my mom. And she was like, you're right. I'm not. Pulled, she didn't have a cell phone at that time. Walked over to the wall, grabbed the phone, and said, hey, Sherry. Yeah, Ryan, he's being really bad. Right? And you know, let, she let him, my mom know I was really misbehaving. And then she hit me with the phrase that every kid who's ever been babysat who was a bad kid gets just wait until your mom and dad get home, right? So that future punishment 
deeply transformed my conduct in the moment, right? That when you know that you have punishment coming, you can't enjoy yourself. You can't enjoy life. It's like, oh, no, I know my mom and dad are coming home, and I know I'm going to get it. They might try and trick me and and make them think like I forgot, but I know it's coming. I know I'm going to get punished for the way I treated my cousin Christy. But we contrast that with the hope that we have as Christians, that at the return of Jesus, it's grace. It's sweet, affirming, longing grace. So that future grace transforms our conduct today. And Peter is going to do this and work this big idea out through two statements. Two if-be statements. If this, be that. So go ahead, open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 13 through 21. If you don't have a Bible with you, you should bring one to church. We have some for you right back here where Mike, the most enthusiastic man in the building, is standing under the connect sign. That was great enthusiasm. He's smiling under that mask, I promise. Uh, But if you don't have a Bible, I'd like to purchase you one, as Drew said last week. So I'm going to make good on that promise for you, Drew. Uh, Also, the words will be on the screen behind me. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. If you're there, say, Lord, I love your word. (laughs) Thank you. Praise God. Therefore... Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passion of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout your time as an exile. Quick, quick lesson in hermeneutics. Anytime we see the word therefore, a question we need to ask is, what is that therefore? Right? So we, we saw last week, if you were here last Sunday, then you, you heard Drew preach this message. If you weren't, you see that we were born again to a living hope. That the hopes that this world has to offer, even when we get them, we still are left unfulfilled. We're born again to a living hope. And the outcome of that faith in our living hope, Jesus Christ, is the salvation of our souls. And the suffering that we're encountering in the world is merely to test and prove the genuineness of our faith. The things that... The the prophets prophesied for, that they knew that they weren't prophesying for themselves, they were prophesying for a future people that is us, anybody who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So now Peter gets to verse 13 where he says, in order to set your hope fully on this grace that is coming to you, you must prepare your mind for action and be sober-minded. So why is it therefore? Because if you want to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, as being born again to that living hope, you must prepare your mind for action. Now, this English word prepare doesn't really do it justice, really. It's it's a, I think it's a 23-character word in Greek that I will not bore you with for what this actually means, but it says, gird up the loins of your mind, is what it actually translates to. Let's, let's talk a little bit more about that. There was an ancient Oriental and Greco-Roman uh, phase of where the, everybody wore robes, that men would wear robes down around their ankles. And how many of you ladies have ever tried to run in a floor-length dress? Is it easy? No, it's not easy. Men, how, any men try to do that? Oh, I just, 
praise God, brother. You got robes. I like that. Right, so gird up the loins of your mind. What Peter is saying is that when it was time for action, when it was time to run, or when it was time for a battle, that they would pull up their robes just above their knee and tie them so they wouldn't have anything in their way when it was time for the battle. So Peter is saying, gird up the loins of your mind. Prepare your mind. Get the things out of the way in your mind that are going to stop you from being ready for action. And be sober-minded. Get the things out of your mind that are going to cause you to hallucinate. Get the things out of your mind that are going to cause you to see things that might not really be there. Peter is saying, by the grace of God alone, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. If you're going to walk in this calling of being born again to a living hope, that you got a little bit of work to do in your mind. That you got to stop thinking about things that are killing you. you got to repent and let go of those things that are killing you. We have to stop believing the lies of Satan, right? Yeah, you can clap for Jesus. That's great. So Peter here, he's telling us the mentality that someone should have if they seek to be a Christian, born again to this living hope. Christians should be thoughtful about their intellect, about their beliefs, about their emotions, about their behaviors, about their desires, about everything that we're going through because that thoughtfulness produces readiness. Now, is Peter saying that if you have a simple mind, you cannot follow Christ? Not at all. Children can follow Christ. Children can have their mind not conformed to the ways of the world, but renewed through the spirit of the living God. He's saying thoughtfulness produces readiness. So he talks about this mentality that that's how we're going to walk in this living hope that we've been born again to. And this is how you're going to set your hope fully on the grace that you can expect at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he turns the corner with some familial language in verse 14 where he says, as obedient children. So immediately he turns the corner to obedient children. Now in this cultural push where everything is a matter of choice. Today's world is telling us that you can choose whatever you want to choose, and if it works for you, it's okay. And the world is saying, well, Jesus loves everybody just the way they are, right? Jesus has offered his love to everybody in the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. Yes, indeed. And I love my children with everything in me. That does not mean they get to choose to do whatever they want to do, right? So God... As obedient children says, you need to prepare your minds for action if you're going to walk in accordance with this living hope. And, and the world is saying, Christians, you shouldn't be so rigid. If Jesus loves everybody, just let everybody be exactly the way they want to be. That's okay. I'm not here to stop anybody from doing whatever they want to do. I am here to tell you that in the language of the family, with our father being an obedient child, he tells us to repent and get, get rid of those wicked ways. Get rid of the things that we've inherited. Get rid of the former passions and desires that were ignorant and ultimately end up being futile. And as, as a dad who loves my sons... I'm going to teach them the right way to go, but under no circumstances will I let them do whatever they want to do. Not a lot of amens for that one. I get it. It's okay, right? Because sometimes when we don't get to do what we want to do, it hurts. So in essence, what Peter's saying here is that there should be a family resemblance. That if you are obedient children, you get rid of these things and you be holy as God is holy. And that's our first point. If God is your father, be holy. If God is your father, be holy. Verse 16 says, you are to be holy because I am holy. Now, the Bible uses uh, this term holy for God a number of times, but there's two primary definitions for this. The one that we think of the most is actually the one that is used to describe God in the scriptures the second most. When we think of holy, the thing that we think about most often is pure, 
or perfect or unstained or righteous. The way that the Bible uses the word holy to describe God most commonly in the scriptures is different. That God is other than. That God is, as we saw last week, consecrated or set apart. So what the scriptures is saying here, that you are to be other than as your heavenly father is other than. That you are to look different than the way of the world because God is different than the way of the world. We can't fit God into our little boxes. The world can't fit God into a box. So Peter is saying you are to be other than the world like your heavenly father is other than the world. And then he moves forward in verse 17 where he says that there's this kind of fear that we're supposed to live with as exiles here. And it's not fear like that God wants you to be frightened, that you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling. My children, we're going to do a little experiment here. This is going to be great, right? Ezra, I got his attention, right? And I love you, and I never, ever want you to be afraid of me, ever. But I will promise that you will respect me, okay? So that, that's the way we have to work, right? Why isn't he clapping? <laughs> right? No, so... It's just a little experiment, right? So God is saying that you are to respect and revere me. Peter is saying that we as family, with God our Father, and us as obedient children, we're supposed to have family resemblance of otherworldliness, right? It's not supposed to look like the way the world wants it to look like. Peter says in, in the second half of verse 14, being conformed to the passions of our former ignorance. So he calls our passions and desires of our pre-Christ life ignorance. That, and somebody can help me with this sentence. When you know better, do better. If you don't know better, how can you do better, right? So this is what Peter's saying. That you didn't understand who Christ was, but if God is your father, be holy. Now you understand. So now that you do know better, you need to do better by the grace of Jesus Christ. So Peter addresses these former passions and this former ignorance. And he calls it in verse 18, futile, worthless, pointless. That it's never going to measure up to anything. And I think all of us can sit here today and say, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, God's ways are better than my ways. But I think if we're honest, sometimes we find the opposite to be true in our heart. That I actually cherish my desires more than I cherish the word of God. I cherish the way I want to feel more than I cherish holiness with God. And as Peter addresses the former way here, you know, as we talked about three weeks ago, how the former way, our, our pre-Christ sin, you know, we shouldn't get excited about that. It should cause us to mourn. It should cause us to, to be wretched. It should cause us to thank God all the more for the grace that has been made manifest in Jesus Christ. I want to talk a little bit about two primary areas of sin in my pre-Christ life. This is almost 13 years ago now where the two things I think I struggled with the most were lust and murder. And not murder like I actually wanted to kill somebody, but murder that I could write somebody off out of my life if I didn't think they were going to do something for me immediately. And lust, which is just purely abusing God's creation to get something out of it. So as we think about those things in my own life, I want to talk to you a little bit about those things in my own life. Now, only by God's grace now does it take effort for me to sin like that. It's not quite as natural anymore, and, and by no means, you can spend one minute with me and know I'm not the hero of this story, okay? Jesus is the hero of this story through and through. But, but this former way of life of, of that I looked at the world, I looked at everyone around me, everybody who was created in God's image, and I looked at people who could do something for me. 
And if you couldn't do something for me, then I could write you off pretty quickly. And I see that happening even now, today in the church, very readily. That people refuse to believe the best about their brother and their sister. And we can murder people with our Twitter thumbs. And we can murder people by saying they're, they're part of that denomination. They can't be my brother or my sister, right? So as we look at my own personal lust and murder, those own spirits that plagued me, how is it now that it takes a little bit of effort for me to get there? It's not just natural. It's because by God's grace alone, I am becoming holy like my Father is holy. That when we seek to get close to God's word and close to God in prayer with intimacy, then our sin distances from us. Then it becomes a little bit more labor to go get that sin that used to be so natural to you. My formerly ignorant self, my futile ways, because I can look at those things now the way Peter tells us to look at those things. That that was pure ignorance, and that was futile. It's not going to do anything for me, so why would I do that? Now, even if somebody's not in my life today that I, that I still want to be in my life and they're not around, I still think about them. I still pray for them, right? And, and as many of you can give a, a hearty amen to this, this process is way too slow and a little bit more bumpy than we would like it to be, right? Being holy as our Heavenly Father is holy. But this is why we fight. We fight because there's future grace that if God is our Father, we're called to be holy in that future grace at the revelation of Jesus Christ, that transforms our conduct today. That keeps us in the fight. The knowledge that when Jesus returns, there's something coming our way. The knowledge that when Jesus returns, he's going to look and he say, oh yeah, that's definitely one of mine. Because he is striving to be holy as my heavenly Father is holy. Or yes, yeah, she is definitely mine. Because I see her holiness being made manifest. That is what transforms our conduct today. That we can look forward to Christ's grace that's coming at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now in your own life, you can apply my examples of lust and murder to whichever your pet sin is, right? To uh, perhaps your covetousness over things that other people have that you don't have. Perhaps your sexual sin that you continue to fall into. Perhaps your foul speech. Perhaps our vanity that we think we're better than everyone else. When we think about these things, you cannot, and what Peter is saying, you must not be led astray by the world that says Jesus loves everybody, right? You get to do whatever you want. Follow your heart. Follow your passion. Do whatever makes you happy. We have a couple practical examples, practical questions here. Do the shows and movies you watch put more distance between you and sin or you and your Savior? Praise the Lord, brother. You're doing better than most of us. Do you spend more money on a car than you do gospel mission? Now, if you've got a nice car, I'm not hating on you. Right? I'm, not, I'm not saying don't drive that nice car because it's not about the car. It's about our hearts. Are we more concerned with where that car is going or where the gospel is going? Are we more concerned with the way that we dress to lure people into ourselves, or are we clothing ourselves with modesty? And I'm not, I'm not just talking about women that wear revealing clothes. I'm talking about men that dress a certain way because you want people to think something about you, because you want people to think something about your status. So as we think about if God is our Father, be holy, we have to evaluate our actions. We have to gird up the loins of our mind and get that stuff out of the way so that we're ready for action, that we're sober-minded and prepared. Let's read verse 17. If you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. God is both our Father and our judge. He will judge according to our deeds. So is he your Father 
or is he just a good guy that gives you good things? So God can't just be good if he's not ultimate for you. If, if your hope in God rests on all the good stuff he does for you, then you're not going to be able to follow him when you feel like your life's a mess. But if your hope in God is on him as the ultimate, the source of hope, the source of all good things, with Christ the Son being our only redeemer, then no matter what our life looks like, our hopes won't get smashed. Our feelings might be hurt, but our hopes won't get smashed. The second if statement and our second point for today is this. If Jesus is your redeemer, be faithful. If Jesus is your redeemer, be faithful. Let's read verse uh, 18 through 21. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Now, Peter, he gives us how we're to conduct ourselves, right? If God's your father, be holy as your heavenly father is holy. Now he gives us the why. And this is the most valuable and important universal intergalactic why that has ever been heard of. The precious blood of Christ. Peter tells us that we've been ransomed. What's it mean to be ransomed? It means that you've been liberated. It means that you've been purchased. It means that you've been set free. And, and, and he says here in verses 18 and 19 that you weren't purchased with perishable things like silver and gold. How many of you had a lot of money in your bank account and then you didn't have any money in your bank account? Right? So the money goes away every now and then. But the thing that we've been ransomed with will never perish. The precious blood of Christ, the thing that we've been bought with, the thing that we've been liberated by, that will never, ever perish. So today, again, the world and people say that desires and feelings should be affirmed and celebrated because this is just the way I'm wired. This is just what I like. This is just who I am. Peter says, yeah, but you need to be liberated from who you are, not affirmed in who you are, liberated and set free from the former ways of ignorance, liberated and set free from your futile thinking, liberated and set free from the passions and desires that draw us into hell, that draw us into death, that we need to repent of these things that are killing us and let go and receive the liberation from Jesus Christ. How are we ransomed? There's only one thing that can ransom you, friends. It's not 12 steps. It's not a good diet, it's not a yoga pose, it's not anger management classes, it's certainly not Joe Biden or Donald Trump. There is only one thing that can ransom our lives, and it is Jesus Christ. It is the precious blood of Christ. But the world doesn't want that. The world sees blood sacrifice and they're like, that's weird. Why would you want that? Progressive Christianity wants a God that is not different than the rest of the world for all time. Progressive Christianity, wants a God, which is not biblical Christianity, just as FYI, wants a God that conforms to the world's ever-evolving sensibilities and moralities. They see nothing wrong with our passions. Peter says don't be conformed to the passions. The world says unless you're conformed to the passions, unless you follow your heart, you'll never be happy. Peter says you need freedom from that. Jesus says... I want to offer you my precious blood. 
Because without this, I actually have nothing of eternal value to offer you. Jesus says, I want to offer you teaching. But without my death, my teaching doesn't mean anything to you in eternity. Jesus says, you don't need a teacher. You need a redeemer. You need a redeemer. Someone who has the power to transform your heart. Someone who can take you out of slavery. Someone who can turn your greed into generosity. Someone who can turn your lust into purity. Someone who can turn your murderous spirit into peace and patience. Someone who can turn your vanity into self-forgetfulness. There are millions of teachers out there. There is only one redeemer for all of humankind. And until we recognize the precious blood of Jesus Christ as that which purchases our redemption, without him and without that, friends, we're slaves. We're enslaved for the rest of our lives to ourselves. If Jesus is your redeemer, be faithful. Now Peter goes on, starting in verse 20, to remind us that, that Jesus wasn't an afterthought. That Jesus was foreknown by God before the foundation of the world for our sake. God wasn't like, oh, snap, Adam sinned. What am I going to do? He knew that this was going to be the case. He knew before the world was created that Jesus was going to come. He knew before Adam sinned that Jesus was going to come. He knew before uh, humanity, uh, notwithstanding Noah's family, was eliminated because of evil. He knew Jesus was going to come before Abraham, before Israel, before uh, the, the traveling, the wandering, before the law, the land, the exile, the kingdom. Before all of this, God knew Jesus was going to come. Before the waiting, the times of silence, the hundreds of years that it felt like God was silent. He was waiting for exactly the right moment at which our Redeemer would come to earth and pay for the sins of the world. And he knows that perhaps today is exactly the right time for your life. That perhaps today is the day where you answer the if question. If God is my Father, I'm called to be holy. If Jesus is my Redeemer, I'm called to be faithful. Because the future grace that Jesus offers us transforms our conduct today. You can't do it, right? It's not behavior modification. It's not enough classes. It's not enough degrees. It is the future grace that Jesus offers us that transforms our conduct today. And brother, sister, if you're without Christ and you don't think that your way of life is futile, you're not thinking. You're not living. You don't understand and are not in touch with the darkness that lives inside of you. We can live in such a way where we numb ourselves to sin. Where we think if we just fit in and we don't make too big of a splash and nobody finds out that we're going to be okay. Or I'm a good person so I'm sure God loves me. We can convince ourselves of these things. I did it for 22 years. Before I came to the end of myself and said it's only always ever Jesus. That he's only always ever the one. If this is you today, if you are living without Christ, I appeal to you. I, I exhort you. I'm begging you today. Surrender. Give it to the old man. You got to give up. We got to give up 
of the former passions, of the former desires, that we were inherited from our forefathers. That's actually the first time in Christian literature that that, for, that Greek word uh, used by Peter here of inherited from our forefathers, is the first time in Christian literature that that word is used in the negative. It's always used in the positive of all the good things you inherited. Your history, your heritage, your traditions were inherited from your forefathers. Peter now flips the script and turns that into a negative word saying, your former way of ignorance, your former way of sacrifice by animals. There has been a new sacrifice that has been offered. Peter's uh, uh, audience, excuse me, would have understood the sacrificial system. They would have understood that they put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts of every Hebrew household and the death angel passed over their houses in Egypt. Peter's audience would have understood that they had to put forth a lamb free from blemish, free from spot, that would atone for their sins. They had to put all their sins on a goat and send it away so that the, the nation would not be punished. Peter is saying that that former way is ignorance. That former way is futile. You need to repent of that former way and receive Jesus Christ as your redeemer because the precious blood of Christ is all that is going to save us. The precious blood of Christ, Christ who was sent for our sake before the foundation of the world, not to turn bad behavior into good behavior. To turn dead men and women into people that are fully alive in Jesus Christ. The, the Christian message is not about behavior modification. The Christian message is not about making our futile behavior worthwhile. It is about until you have received Christ as your redeemer, you are dead. You might feel alive. You might feel alive getting the temporary pleasure from your passions and desires. But until we receive the redemption of Jesus Christ by his blood and by his grace as our only hope, as our Lord and Savior, we are actually dead. So as the worship team comes back up, I want us to think about if you already know that Jesus is your redeemer, what does it mean to be faithful? You place your hope and your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ alone at the revelation of the Lamb of God that is to come. That does not mean you don't care about your family. That does not mean that you don't care about your career. It does not mean that you don't care about your car. It doesn't mean you don't care about the election. It doesn't mean you don't care about this nation. It means that if your hopes are on those things, they will perish and your heart will get sick. Right? So if, we, if you are a Christian, if, Jesus, if you know Jesus is your redeemer, then be faithful to, to hanging your hope on the ultimate thing. The one who hung on the cross for us. You put all your hope, all your faith, all your trust in Jesus. Because if our hope is to be set fully on this future grace that's coming to us, that can transform our conduct today. If God is our father, we're called to be holy. If Jesus is our redeemer, we're called to be faithful. That we must put our faith in God alone. Because remember, all these things that I just listed, your family, the Bible says even your children will leave you. Your marriage, you're going to die one day. The election, there's going to be another one in four years. Our nation, if you think that this isn't the America I like, that's all going to go away too one day. The illusion of our life is fading. That's what's happening right now, in my opinion. That the illusion that we can just continue to walk along and not stick out and do things the same way the world does things, but pretend like we're a little bit better than the people next door because we're Christians, that illusion is fading away. And what, what is happening right now, Jesus is allowing revelation of truth to be seen for us. 
He's allowing us to see that if God is our father, we are to be holy. It doesn't mean if God is your father, act right. It means if God is your father, you're supposed to be different. All the way different. Totally other than. We can't just fit in. If, people, if your neighbors don't know you're a Christian, we're missing it. It's supposed to look different, church. All these things, though. We can treat them as good things, and that's great. And we can receive the blessing that God has for us in them. Family's a blessing. Marriage is a blessing. Children are a blessing. This country we live in is a blessing. This church is a blessing. Our neighbors are a blessing. When we treat them as good things, they can be great. And we can receive them as blessings. But when we treat them as gods, it's a disaster. Because these things are all going to fade away. There's only one thing that will never fade away. And it is Jesus Christ and his precious blood and the word of God. So what do you hope for? Only one thing will never let you down. The grace of God manifested our living hope that we've been born again into, Jesus Christ. And if you have not experienced Jesus as Redeemer, make today the day. Make today the day where you say, I can't do this anymore. I can't live according to my passions or my sinful desires anymore. I need help, Jesus. And it's not just a 12-step program. I need real help, Jesus. I need you to make me alive on the inside that this dead flesh will will pass away. So I want to invite everyone to stand to your feet, please. We're going to worship Jesus as our Redeemer right now. We're going to worship God as our Father right now. We're going to sing a song called Tremble. It's a song that we've sung numerous times. And the song says, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. So if you want the darkness that's surrounding your life to start shaking, call on the name of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, you silence fear. We can't silence the fears that are happening in our heart. Only Jesus can do that. Only the future grace that the revelation of Jesus Christ can transform our conduct today. Only if God is our Father can we be holy. Only if Jesus is our Redeemer can we be faithful. So I'm going to pray for us. And I want us to worship as though God's our Father. As though Jesus is your Redeemer. But if those things are not true. If God isn't your Father. If Jesus isn't your Redeemer. you got to answer those questions today, friend you got to answer the question of, am I even really alive? What am I missing? Why does my life look like this? And I promise you, Jesus has an answer. Father, I love you and I thank you. I praise your holy name, Jesus Christ. It's in your name that we ask everything in accordance to your will. Because your will is good for us. Your will is perfect for us. Your will is holy. So I pray that you would cause us to be holy as you are holy. Cause us to be different like you are different. Cause us to be made mature as you are fully perfect and mature, God. Please, would you cause us to desire nearness to you, Father. Nearness to your word. Nearness and intimacy to you in prayer. Nearness to your son, Jesus Christ. So that we may create, by the grace of God alone, distance from sin. Jesus, please. Reveal to us that it is your sacrifice alone that leads us in the way of the everlasting. That it's your grace alone that can transform all the dead and broken things in our life. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We 
trust you, Jesus. Be pleased with our worship today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Together we put our hands together and say amen and hallelujah. Let's worship the name of Jesus, church. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.